Welcome to the RazorWire podcast, where we discuss all things in the information security and cybersecurity world. From current events and trends, through to commentary from experts in the field, providing vital advisory on what it is to work in the information security and cybersecurity space. Hello, and welcome to another RazorWire podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about biometrics, data protection around biometrics, the ethics of biometrics, and all things biometrics, a very controversial subject over the years for many. I've got two specialists in the security space who love biometrics, uh, so this should be an interesting period of time for us to be talking about something that maybe could alleviate some of your concerns, or at least maybe make you rethink you know, the validity of biometrics within your organization. Maybe for one way, maybe for the other, let's find out. So I have Chris Dawson. Chris, do you want to kind of introduce yourself to those listening out there? Sure. Thanks very much, James. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Chris Dawson. I'm a former Royal Marine and a private security consultant, um, just over two decades from school, really. Since leaving the Marines in 2012, I've had a number of roles which would require a slightly different level of physical security from hostile all the way up to more uh, recent times uh, in the corporate world um, where I've focused my energy um, into protecting employees, assets uh, and the business as a, uh, as a whole. Fantastic. Ian. Ian is a former consultant of Razorthorn. I will introduce him as that. Ian, do you want to kind of tell the team out there uh, who you are, what your background is? Yeah, sure. Hello, uh, everyone. I'm Ian. I'm a former Royal Air Force intelligence specialist, but then obviously in 2015, jumped ship to the civilian sector. James has already alluded to. I was a razor thorn or a thorn, as he likes to call them. Uh, But uh, I'm mainly operate in the cybersecurity data protection and now risk management framework. So various sectors I've worked in with work with James as well in public and private, be it from financial to software development, uh, quite a few of those if I can remember back in the days. But yeah, so that's my background, but uh, heavily focusing on uh, data protection. So we've definitely got the right people in the room here then. Brilliant. Fantastic. So let's 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 talk very briefly about the history of biometrics. Biometrics actually goes back a hell of a lot further than a lot of people think. Back in the 70s and uh, 60s and 70s, if you were a big sci-fi buff, there'd be all kinds of biometrics around there and the idea that, you know, you could scan your hands, scan your eyeballs, scan random parts of your body to to access areas within usually a spaceship or some kind of base or something, which everybody back in the day maybe used to laugh at and think, oh, you know, that's that sounds lovely, but I don't think that technology is gonna 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 happen at all. And then boom, you know, we hit the the 90s and the very early forms of commercial biometrics started coming out. Usually kind of things that you connected into your desktop on a a scanner that you would scan your thumb on. And I remember the really early ones where you could kind of defeat those with a, I think it was a jelly baby, wasn't it? You know, you could, <laughs> if somebody, somebody had used it before, you used to get a jelly baby, flatten it out and get rid of some of the powder. And then you could, use, it would react with the oils from the previous fingerprint and then get you through. And the, the false positive rate on those devices was terrible back in the day. You know, you had to constantly clean them and so on and so forth. 
And there's been lots of different iterations of biometrics. And, and, and in 25 years that I've been in this game, I've seen a lot of kind of almost little resurgences of biometrics over the years where firms have tried to incorporate them into laptops, which is actually quite prevalent now. Some people did liked it, some people didn't, and then it would disappear again. And then when mobile phones started to get a bit more complicated, all of a sudden we started using biometrics there originally with the, the thumb scanners on the little buttons if you were an iPhone user or whatever. Now coming to kind of like facial recognition. And, and as I've said, there, there's been lots of different iterations. But I think in many of those iterations, the subject matter of data protection and the protection of that biometric data for individuals and how important it is, you know, whether or not it's at risk, you know, whose responsibility is it to keep it secure? You know, what happens if it goes awry? Are there instances where it has gone awry? And I think that the controversy behind a lot of that has really kind of meant that biometrics has been adopted a hell of a lot later than feasibly it should have. It's, I've always considered it to be a pretty good, viable second factor in a, a multi-factor authentication method of entry or um, access to systems or services. You know, it's better than a tag because you can lose a tag. It can get wet. You can have it stolen or whatever. The little stupid little calculator things that were great until the battery died. And then, of course, you know, you had to go and get another one and each one of those was i mean back in the day you know the old rsa ones like 25 quid a token and if you had a a decent size user base you know 25 quid a token could could actually turn out to be quite a significant amount and obviously you always had to have like stacks and stacks of spare ones just in case one went you know went and smashed or broke or, or got wet or whatever Bearing in mind that, that you guys are from a military background and may have seen a, a bit more of a wider adoption of the early days of biometrics, you know, obviously don't don't say anything that you're not allowed to because I do appreciate in some instances you might not be able to say. But could you give us a bit of background as to your first interactions with it, how it was kind of used and viewed by those types of institutions when you first got in? I think for me, um, coming from the, the naval background, obviously the military is very, very probably behind any commercial, anything that comes out commercially. So if, if you're in, was in the military, uh, you know, especially when facial recognition first brought it, its vendor test in 2000, I think it was. Uh, and then the, they used it at a Super Bowl in 2001, if I remember, and it just went massively haywire. They use it for, for instead of actual physical tickets, people would try and upload the facial features, um, and, and that would be your ticket. But we just didn't have the technology to to be able to to put that into practice. So I think for us would would mainly be in an armory setting in the military uh, would be where the things that gold bang are held um, it is more more than essential. Most times would revert back to lock and key because of the glitches in the system. Mm -hmm. So I think when it was introduced, especially for us, definitely later in the 2000s, I'm probably talking 2009, 2010, before they started to use it. And obviously the technology was better, but as the military does, it buys the cheapest it can, which is probably the, the initial technology we used, and it, and it just it didn't work at all. So again, full circle back to back to lock and key for that. I suppose also in a military setting, I mean, you can only have it in certain locations because on certain you know, operational bases or whatever. I know Ian sort of, you know, had his time out on on some of those. The dust, the rubbish, the crap in the air, the the stuff yeah. that's covering you. You know, the engine oil, the grease, the 
the general kind of you, you can't get off operation that you're crawling around in the middle of nowhere you know scraping your hands to bits for instance if it's fingerprint biometrics and not expect some false positives to occur or not expect some failures to, to authenticate even with a legitimate handprint. I mean, I've done it myself with my laptop. I, I cut my thumb badly, didn't think, went to try and I was like, why can't I get in? You know, and then I had to bypass and, and, and use another factor. But Ian, what's your initiation into biometrics? It was actually cat piracy way back when, Somalia piracy. Uh, so my First hand was working with the uh, obviously it's a was a policing mission rather than a military mission. So when they used to capture the pirate attack groups, uh, they used to do the biometrics, the retina scans, the fingerprints, and all that. That was the first time I really actually actively used it. And obviously, huge database that they're using there to then go, "I got mate, we caught you before. What are you doing?" <laughs> type thing. Oh, off you go. Type thing. So yeah, that was a massive use and. The data that they were consuming on that, because you're looking at how many packs you could get a day per action groups, it was it could be two or three a day with six or seven people on that, and especially in piracy series season, as they like to call it, i.e., not monsoon season. We used to get them quite a lot down the um, IRTC, which is the Northern Cape, essentially, as you come out the um, Suez Canal. You used to get them just zipping across. To uh, Yemen from the uh, from the mm-hmm. north of uh, Somalia, you just pick loads up and you just just zap them, put them in a database, and then you let the, the the you know the police forces deal with them and move on. But we obviously we use that from an intelligence setting to go well, actually they're linked to that, they're linked to that, and you build up a picture as well. Mm. Well, this is it. I mean, you know, because biometrics is used now really extensively with things like CCTV. Yeah. You know, we're not just talking about the, the retinal scans and the fingerprint scans, although that's kind of where originally that a lot of that technology came from. You know, I know in certain parts of the world that begin with a C that will remain nameless, they've got quite extensive facial recognition, gait recognition, which is, you know, the way that you walk. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind of exploded. And, and along with that, a lot of people are seemingly asking the question, well, first of all, where is this being stored? Second of all, what are you storing? You know, if you're storing multiple different types of biometrics, is it just my face? Is it just, you know, the way that I walk? Is it both of those things tied into a database? How secure is that database? What else do you use that information for? Because... I think a lot of people, uh, when it comes to biometrics, they seem to kind of, they consider it their property and it's, they're right in many respects. It's a bioprint of them in some form or another, but they have no say how it's dealt with and, and how long it's kept for. Cause I mean, we've all heard government say, Oh, you know, we only hold it for a certain amount of time. I, I come on. We're not all stupid, you know. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I think Edward Snowden proved, uh, proved, proved that theory wrong well absolutely you know i mean you know love him or hate him you know he did point out some some rather significant issues um that were occurring and it just kind of goes to show you know what what is being stored because i mean in the early days of biometrics a lot of these these biometric prints let's call them that they were quite extensive they were quite large chunky bits of data they weren't small 
And when you think about the amount of storage we had back then available to us and the technology we had available to us, it was very limited in many respects compared to the, the data set. So if you, if you tried to do this in some large scale, it was, it, you know, you could, you would have to be either a very large organization to do it or you'd have to be some kind of government body with, with very deep pockets or government organization. But that's changed now, hasn't it? It's it's a lot lighter now. It's a lot easier to store. Yeah, I think, um, so just to jump on the back of what Ian said uh, with pirates in uh, Somalia and, and the whatnot, uh, taking that biometric data, that again was probably used on the back of the, the major test um, in Afghanistan. So, you know, uh, in the Helm province in Afghanistan, like you say, Ian was, you know, they were probably doing two or three people a day where most patrols and, you you know, you've got, you've got 100 patrols all going out from different locations pretty much all at once. They were taking biometrics for, for villages, for whole villages, thousands and thousands of people daily, from children all up to the, the, the village elders. Was that forcefully or was that by, by agreement? That was... Or is that a secret? <laughs> <laughs> Depends which side of the fence you, you sit on, I think. And and the cover that not sorry, not sorry, not the cover, but the you know the the reasoning behind that was probably it was was pushed to let's get a, a database of how many people we've got in said village, for instance, and and then we can look after them. We can build schools and hospitals, and we know what the population is, and we know we have more information about them. But let's be honest, it's for everything so and and like you say that data that was pulled was ridiculous i, I remember the, the little biometric i can't remember what the name of it was actually but the the little camera that they used with that so they took a picture so they took your facial recognition they did your iris and it could also take your your fingerprint and thumbs all in one hit you could probably get about 100 150 people's data on there and then it was okay we've got to patrol back to to the four bar to to the to where you are to empty the, the mobile and then go back out again because it just it it just wasn't large enough unless you're carrying a desktop round on your back or a couple of devices in your backpack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that 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 would be clever. <laughs> Following on from that, I think it was last month one turned up on eBay. One really? of those devices from a US wholesale, and it had all the data still on from Afghanistan. And uh, the person who bought it kind of flagged it to the US authorities. They went, "Oh, what via via the media." <laughs> pretty much yeah it's been in the news yeah yeah and i think i think so that being a a platform for the world to see because obviously when that was happening um and then when then that information coming out it was probably around the time of snowden um and and what the us and what the uk and the, and all the other governments were doing and probably still are doing but it's a bit more ethical now that platform just said right this is what they've got and this is how they're doing it no one really cared before that Mm. So that 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 pushed it out there, and then so you know if if you had a bio, you know biometrics on your mobile phone, for instance, no one really bothered about. It's just your fingerprint; it's just stored on your phone. Yeah. But after after something like so big come out, people really started to look and go, "Oh, actually, what is it just on my phone? Do mm. Apple or do some do they take that information? Do they see if I've been here, there, and everywhere? And and I think that's where the the ethics bits comes into it, and you know, and you know push a bit more on GDPR and how it's great. I mean, I'm the other way. Take as much data as you want. Let's know where everybody is and what they're doing at every single minute of the day. No, thanks. And there's a whole other podcast <laughs> involved in that one. We'll definitely have to think about that one. I think, you no, know, you're absolutely right. And it, uh, one of the things I, 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 I suppose when you really look at it in the cold light of day, 
we've had kind of biometrics slowly pushed to us through devices that we love and uh, you know and and have us have on us all the time. People don't think about you know is because when you do the whole oh I've got my new device I've got to do my fingerprint and you sit there and you roll it around on the on the pad for like ten minutes and then finger two and then you know, do all your digits if you really want to. Nobody really thinks about where that information is stored. I, th- I think a lot of them assume that it's stored on the local device. But that's not always the case, though, is it? You know, because those devices are backed up quite commonly, depending upon which m- model you have of, of or flavor that you have, be it Android or be it Apple. It is uploaded to that location. So there's no reason why that biometric information in that, device can't be linked back to specific pictures that have also been backed up and so on and so forth. So getting hold of that information, you could, in essence, pretty much steal someone's entire identity just through their biometrics. I mean, has that happened yet? Have you seen any instances of that? Is that is that something on the radar for a lot of these companies? It's not a case of it being stolen, but a case of uh, it being misidentification. Where that has happened, uh, I think there's a case in the US recently where a man was arrested because he had been accused of well, they facial recognition had picked up and said that's your man who mm-hmm. arrested a store in Louisville that he'd never been to before and was promptly arrested and said we've got facial recognition, it's fine, it's you, and it's all because he had a mole. I mean, you know, in in a world but it wasn't him. in a world where we could now create deep fakes of people pretty much saying or doing anything. If we were to get the biometric print, so to speak, the the, the facial mm. sort of like biometric print of somebody, and then use that to overlay on a deep fake video, the potential damage, reputational damage, you know, personal damage in some cases, on that kind of attack, and and we can't be stupid enough to think that people haven't considered it before. Because let's face it. In, in a world of, you know, in, in the world that we're in, it's getting more and more difficult these days to go anywhere without getting seen. And just the implications behind a lot of this, even down to the extent of, you know, deep fakes on, a, on you know, a, a high-definition imaging device being used to get past, by, you know, cheap biometric facial recognition. I mean, where, where do we go with this? That's one of the problems as well, is you have, a, like, a, a basic technology and this is what we want to do. We want to have uh, facial recognition or even even more basic on voice recognition. I mean, the technology on voice recognition is, is there. Everybody uses it every day mm. with Siri, Alexa, Google Dots, and whatnot. You speak, it answers you. But anybody can speak. So it's not after your voice. And we can't, we can't hone it into somebody's voice. So therefore, mm. that doesn't really work. You know, the born identity where we records him and then opens a safe that in the real world that that doesn't work but the basics of that is there if you've got a, a very very basic system we can use a photo if if we've got facial recognition for ian and i use a photo of ian it will probably pick it up unless it does you know unless we're we're talking about the the super technology that we've got where it's looking deep as, as a 3d image of you uh, mm. and the whatnot but yeah, we can use photos. And then what what happens there where if someone has I don't know, an accident, a cut on their eye, does it pick up that? How does that work? We use them every single every single day. You know, Heathrow uses it, what, 25,000 times a day through passport control. Ian, you look like you wanted to say something there. Take technology out of it. You've got voice biometrics. You've voice mm. patterns in it. That is part of your biometric 
that can be turned on its head. Your deep fakes going back into that, mm. using that voice to just phone up a help desk to say, "Hey, it's the CEO of Microsoft or wherever." You know, I'm locked out. Can you let me in? And you're phoning, you know, the help desk. Hopefully, they've been trained to recognise and understand that the, these types of attacks exist. But using that, it's a very you don't even need the fancy equipment or anything like that you just the against the person attack which is always obviously the biggest risk factor in most of the and everything is the person in the, the day i suppose also yeah i mean thinking about it lot you know thinking about it as an information security professional just chucking out random things that come into my head which which tends to happen a lot as ian will probably tell you a lot out there um i mean with the with technology now I mean, voice modulation for game, you know, for streamers and Twitchers and gamers and, and whatnot has been out for a long, long time. And there's no reason why somebody can't come up with a, with a program that analyzes a voice modulation from a biometric print, you know, a vocal recording of, a, of somebody. Because mm. it's like, you know, when you train Windows to, to recognize your voice, you know, I've done it for, voice control on certain games and stuff like that, you know, with a, with enough words being spoken, you, there's no reason why a program can't completely rebuild a, a voice modulator around the inflections and the way that you speak and then utilise that for that same purpose. Is that the next level of social social attacks that we're going to experience? I mean, you know, we can't be the first people to come up with something like that. Those attacks have been seen in the wild. Just put it out there, Jim. You do these podcasts. Well, he's exactly. giving them the ammo. <laughs> I am, but so are you, and so's Chris. So there we go. <laughs> no one else get this northernness down. I'll tell you. <laughs> In many respects, the question then becomes, you know, sort of drawing it back to to the the data protection. If you are using biometrics, you do have to put a higher level of security against that biometrics yes. than what you're using the biometrics for in itself in many respects. It's a bit like it's a bit like encryption. You know, the keys you use to you know for the for the key encrypting keys has to be better than in the normal set of keys. It's it's the same principle. And it's like programmatic access for applications through relevant APIs and what have you to be able to access that information but without leaking it out has now become quite a key thing. The storage of, of vast quantities of biometric data is, is one tough thing to deal with in the best of times. Now you're having to deal with a wholesale security of that information. As we well know, when you encrypt a data set, it does add more data to that data set to do that encryption and to, and to you know, perform that function. So you're, you're only making your data set bigger and worse to to store and manage, you know, especially from, and, and back up as well, because don't forget, corruption is a thing on some of the, you know, some of these platforms. So, I mean, where do we, where do we go with this? Is biometrics in many respects still in its infancy and we need to do some serious work on it? I think, yes. There you go. Ian jumps in. From a legal and ethical consideration, mm. there's not enough guidance out there for this. Ian jumped in because he knew what was coming. I know. <laughs> uh, but, but Which is interesting because we've got two flip sides of the coin here. We've got one person concerned about the ethics behind it and, and protecting that. And, and then we have somebody else who's like, no, we need to, to prevent crime, I suppose. We need to gather as much as possible. And if, if there's nothing for you to fear, then there's nothing for you to fear. But go on, Ian. Sorry, I, I jumped in. I, no, I it's all right. Uh, yeah, there needs to be more legal than ethical. I mean, even the, what's it? 
the biometrics surveillance commissioner, uh, the ICO's one, even wrote to the ICO about it and said, look, I think it was October last year, that look, there needs to be more done on this. There's not enough considerations for that, including the societal issues, I think it was as well, to consider this. There needs to be a framework in place. And what's been written like that already is already behind, way behind from what we're what we've got. I mean, take Clearview, you know, where uh, or Clearview at IA, they've been fined what twenty million by mm. the Greek uh and then France and then UK as well. They just hoovered up all the data they could and then go and then sold it on to say, yeah, this is a facial profile of me, you know. Uh, and that in itself is like, I don't want that. I'm not a big fan of social media. I don't want my face plastered everywhere. I'm quite private as a person. I don't want that. That's my basic right, isn't it? But that's the big question, though, isn't it? And I know it's been bandying back and forth, and we'll go over to Chris in a minute because I know he's eager to jump in here. Who owns that image of you? Who owns that representation of you, that biometric print that we keep talking about? It doesn't matter whether it's vocal you know, your face, your eyes, your fingerprints, your footprints, your the way that you walk. Is it you that owns that? I mean, technically speaking, yeah, it is because it's you. But when it's gathered and harnessed by an organisation, be it public or be it private, does it then become them? Who's the data owner? It, it, this is where things, I think, get a bit muddy. Well, they do become the data control, I'll give you that, of that data. The and data they control. have then responsibility. Not data owner. And not... Because you own your face. Yeah. I, I, I own me at the end of the day. I've, uh, the, the wife will tell you different. But <laughs> I own everything about me, and I am no model, so I'm not selling my rights away to say, yeah, plus my face everywhere. Um, quite surprised Chris didn't jump in there. Uh, but <laughs> oh, oh, he, he will in a minute. He will in a minute. <laughs> if I'm willing to give someone, i.e. the business that I work for, my image, say, yeah, that's me, you, that's my identification, great. I expect you to inform me and tell me how you're looking after that and how long you're going to retain that for and what controls have you got in place. I'm happy with that, but just to take it willy-nilly, so to speak, no. <laughs> it just well, this riles is it. against mean, my uh, privacy. You know. But, but is it, isn't it different from the people who you work for because you have a measure of control there? When it's the government, you don't. And it's just like anything. It's like people selling your, in many respects, people selling your email address to spammers, you know. Yeah. You don't, it's yours. It's technically, you own that email or the, the organization that you bought it off for because you're an organization or if you've got it yourself, technically you, you have that email address. But it's not yours anymore. That's it. It's out there now. You're going to be spammed to hell. I mean, you know, we all, we all experience that horror no matter who you are. But let's go over to Chris because I could see him. I could see him really gritting his teeth. Come on, Chris, <laughs> tell us, tell us your, your view. I, I think what what riles me up a little bit um, is that people just pick and choose when they want to jump on the bandwagon and saying, "I like my privacy laws and it's my data." Blah 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 blah. But then we'll walk around with the latest smartphone with facial mm-hmm. recognition in the pocket that's got geolocations, um, and it's not just facial recognition to open your phone, which let's say Apple, Samsung other providers, are whatever, available. are available. Um, it's not just them that hold that on the phone. Okay, so the, to open, to unlock your phone or your device, let's say that that biometrics sits on that device. Fine. Okay, done. I use my face recognition to open my bank. Mm. That doesn't sit on the device because no. how does th- that sits with the bank. I use my face to open 
various, various apps, how many people will actually go through all the terms and conditions to make sure that that day, they won't. You'll just sign up to it, you're doing dust of it. But when the Metropolitan Police put out the facial recognition testing that was just taking everyone's face, and the uproar was like, mm. well, but we're utilising this data to, to make sure everybody's safe. If there's an incident, we'll look at that. And then it's like, oh, well, we can't do that. But people will quite happily walk around with a big, massive sign on their back, which is in their pocket saying, here I am, this is me, this is where I am, and this is what I'm doing. I agree. I mean, you know, and there's two things there, really. I mean, one, you've given permission in many respects by the contract that you've signed to for somebody to call this that information. The, I mean, there is a massive inference on how you, whether or not they're going to pick up on how companies, I think companies should be taken to task. I think they're, my personal opinion on this, for, for an organisation outside government, that's another thing entirely. I'll, I'll go into that in a minute. I think, you know, you should sign up to for some form of standard. This is where I think compliance really helps. Some kind of standard where you say, you know, we will comply with this standard when it comes to managing and protecting the biometric information that we hold on anyone. Um, and then they're held to account on that, they're tested on it, they're audited against it, be it, you know, regularly or be it surprise audits or whatever it is. Because... It's only getting worse. We're more and more things are being used, you know, for for biometrics. We don't know where that data is half the time, and I think that's where the public have the problem now. When it comes to government, I see the point of what government say when they say, "Look, we're, we're using. If you've got nothing to fear, if you've done nothing wrong, we're just doing this so we can track." known terrorists or we can track incidents and who was there so we can contact them for information and so on and so forth or you know basically if you're not a criminal you don't have to worry but i think there's a massive distrust there that's where the distrust for how their data is being protected comes in in some respects and how it's being used a nobody wants to be on a police database ever whether you're a criminal whether you're not you don't want to be on some database somewhere b as you just alluded to, and it's not just the military that buy the cheapest possible technology, our beautiful governments around the world, God bless you if any of you are listening to this because we love you. Just thought I'd put that out there. Yeah, none of them are well known for actually spending vast quantities of money on a product that actually does what it's meant to do. Oh, here we go, Ian's... Ian's. No, I have to say, they will spend the vast money on... Yeah, but it... it, it, it but it won't do what they... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. See, this is this this is one of the signature things that I, I see with security a lot. A lot of people, they look to buy the cheapest option. And as I say to a lot of people, you know, cheap is good, cheap is fantastic. You know, and I, I had this drilled into me when I was years ago in IT. And Ian's heard me say this before, actually. I can see it's, it's tweaking in his brain. You can either have it fast, you can have it good, or you can have it cheap. But you can only pick two of those. If you want it fast and good, it's not going to be cheap. If you want it cheap and fast, it's not going to be any good. And so on and so forth. And we have to get out of that mentality with certain technologies that we are developing. Everything's going as a service. Good example. I mean, biometrics is is a tough subject matter to discuss. The as-a-service industries that we are go, going into now where risk is handled by this company, IT is handled by this company, your HR 
records are handled by this company. The amount of third parties people have now are just getting insane. And we're seeing a lot more business in people asking for third-party risk assessment. Now, if there's multiple forms of biometrics being held at lots of different levels to authenticate at lots of different locations, how are we sure that that is being secure and how are we sure that's not being sold on? I mean, the danger, as Ian said earlier on, is, you know, people have already been caught selling it on. What, what do we do? Do we have a central, you know, maybe the answer is a central biometric repository and anybody wanting to validate anybody's bioprint goes to the, you know, utilizes that facility and it's kept uber secure and all the rest of it. Maybe that's the, I don't know. I think that would probably fall down. There's, a, be so, there's a business be, idea right there. Yeah, <laughs> I think it'd be so difficult to manage because there'd be so, so much data. Mm. Um, and, and and again, that would be one point, it would be a single point of failure if it was all in sort of one place or even multiple places, but all, all linked to, to one portal, for instance. But I think if we... Well, it, hopefully they'll have a CISO that will prevent <laughs> that, you know. <laughs> if we just look at like a, on, a, on an office level, like what I deal with, just introduce it so we've got access cards so we can so we can gain entry. If we want to up that level into a two-factor, okay, we can put a access card and a pin code on there. We want to go multi-factor. Okay, we'll do access card, pin code, and a fingerprint just to open the door. And then the next level in that is facial recognition CCTV. Now, that's not, I mean, yes, it is. It's recording. Um, it's storing your data. Hopefully, it's in a, an enclosed loop because the company can con- control it. And that's where Ian and his team would probably come in and make sure it's all been ethically controlled and stored and then deleted when it's not needed, blah, blah, blah. But that facial recognition, if someone was to go into that room that's not been pre-programmed and they've managed to steal James's card and chop your thumb off, that, that can flag up. <laughs> we, we've got so many levels that we can do, but we, it's so difficult to get that into a commercial, a commercial place um, because of the ethics around it. And, and I sort of get it, but when people walking around with, with their biometrics sat in their pocket, it just riles me a little bit. And to be totally honest, I mean, you know, going back to weirdly enough, something we've talked about just before we got on and started recording, doesn't that lead to people then wedging open doors because they can't be bothered to go through the 500 factors to go through? It's like, it's one of these things, isn't it? There's always situations where you get too much security, where you make it so bloody difficult for people to do what it is they need to do. Even getting around a building, you know, yeah. uh, let alone with fire concerns and all the rest of it. What happens if they're locked in the room and all of a sudden fire alarm goes off? Does Do all the doors automatically open? That then leads people into attacking the fire system if they want to get at the crown jewels because they know that it, it disables all the locking systems. It, 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 this is what I love about security, the balance and the dance that we have to play amongst the various different scenarios. But The biometric technology can be used, utilised in so many different ways. It doesn't have to just be to catch people doing something wrong. If, you, you know, if we look at like something like JP Morgan, absolutely ginormous building, thousands of people in there daily, in and out, in and out. They have 360-degree CCTV coverage that has facial recognition technology in there. If there's a fire, if there's something and the building's been evacuated, we could literally, you could literally ask that, you could ask that CCTV system to bring up that person that is unconscious in a server room on the 70th floor. 
that no one mm. can see. We, we could utilise it for that. And in that way, everyone would be absolutely fine with that when it's bad. But when it's just running normally in the background, people go, oh, I don't know what we're doing with all that data. But as soon as something goes wrong, why have we not got that? How can we, why, why can't we use it for this? Why can't, well, we can, but you said no to it in, when we wanted to install it. Oh, now we're in trouble. Ian's going to say something. No, I think he's, you've hit, kind of hit the nail at purpose. Which Ooh, purpose? An agreement. <laughs> as long as you're up front, honest, yes, this is why we're using it. This is what we intend to do with it. If you go out of those bounds, that's where you get people going, oh, I don't like that. Because historically, let's be honest, we have organizations and companies that have gone out of those bounds that said that we've, we've collected it for this. And then we go, it's, it's about trust at the end of the day and the purpose of what you, you you stick to that, you'll be golden, so to speak, in in my eyes. But if you go out of those bounds, <laughs> yeah, if you go out of those bounds, you, you, you kind of, you've crossed the line, you know. So what happens then on, let's say the Metropolitan, uh, the Met Police when they put the uh, facial recognition yeah. out in, in, in the middle of the town and it was a test to see what kind of data it took, how easy it was to deploy, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So they're doing that test. They're not looking at anyone in particular, any individuals, um, and an incident happens. Can they, from that, so they've not said, we're looking at any incidents, we're not, utilizing, we're not using this right now to fight crime, or we're literally just testing it, and a crime happens, and they're looking at it going, what do we do there? Do you know how they, they counter at that? They put big signs up. No. That say, police lies, <laughs> facial recognition in use. <laughs> they put a privacy notice up, essentially, that says, this is what we're using it for. But on the other side, you know, just adding fuel to this particular fire, not that I like watching <laughs> this kick off. <laughs> you know, what, what about people who have a vested interest in anonymity? You know, like, for instance, people who are in witness protection. Um, <laughs> you know, vulnerable individuals who you know, we have this that crops up quite often. It's like, well, if you're in witness protection, you're not going to start going around places where there's CCTV, but then there's a hell of a lot of CCTV around here and the security yeah. of those CCTV controls. Let's face it, if you go to, and I, I, for any local police institutions watching this, you know, let's be honest, look objectively at the security of your, you know, your, your infrastructure and your solution and the databases that you have where you're holding this kind of information. Can you honestly say it's about as secure as it feasibly can be? It's been tested to be secure and there's very little chance. I mean, there's always a chance someone's going to get in. We, we're all security professionals. We're not idi idiots. But at the same time, the level of security you would have to put in for the assurance to allow people to feel assured that if they are on witness protection or they are vulnerable children or, or adults, and, and ch the whole children thing is the other thing as well, that it's not being misused is, again, really, really expensive. It's really tough to do. And, and there's, the again, the other things like what about on beaches, what about in dressing rooms, there was that whole big controversy. Do you remember the airport scanners where people were being scanned? They both held their hands up. We've all probably been through it by now. Yeah. But, it, it, you know, it's, it, it shows you, it's in essence, really nude without your clothes on. It shows what's underneath your clothes and people were, were losing their minds over whether or not it was showing bits and bits of their anatomy that they didn't want images of. And that, you know, was that then being sold off? Was that then being, you know, oh, look at this, this is a really 
good-looking guy or a girl, I'll just take a picture of that with my phone and then send it to my mate who then sends it to his friend. Who, this is how things get viral. I mean, where do we end with this? So the, we're talking about biometrics and it sounds like we probably need to go into a second podcast discovering, you know, rediscovering biometrics. I think we'll have to do, have to term it as. But my perspective, biometrics, I've always loved biometrics for, for many reasons. I think as a, as a security person looking at it purely from a security standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. It's a very good factor to validating access to data, to a location, wherever it may well be. But it comes at a, a bit of a cost. And, and I'm going to be an annoying sit on the line between what, what Chris is saying, what Ian's saying, because that's my privilege. And uh, the other reason is, you know, I can see it from both sides of the fence. I hate the thought of my children having, you know, being on CCTV uh, when we go to the swimming pool. I understand why it's there and I understand why it needs to be on the outside of the building. I understand why it possibly needs to be centred on the pool just in case something happens and one of them slips or hits the head or whatever. But where do we go with this? I'm not normally a big believer in, in really strict compliance, but I think when it comes to this kind of thing, I think this is probably where we do need it. Um, we have strict compliance in the way that we operate and use money. We have strict compliance in the way that we handle certain types of data, you know, depending upon what type of data you're processing or you're looking after or you're generating. You know, why don't we have something similar for, for biometric recognized in the Western world? Maybe not even something in ISO, maybe. Um, I know PCI have kind of, they're talking about that kind of information as well, because obviously credit cards and access to credit card information. But... I mean, those are my thoughts. I think it's great. I think it's a way to go. I think we we need to put in some standards and hold organizations wanting to do biometrics, especially on wholesale. Maybe it's slightly different if it's just their staff to get them in or pick up anybody robbing the place. But if if it's going to be a public location, not like the company foyer, you know, look at it this way. If you're going into the company foyer and you own the building or there's a couple of companies in the building, you're either visiting or you're robbing it or you work there. It's simple as that. Who's next? Who wants Who wants to give me their final thoughts? It's going to be a fight between Chris and Ian. No, no. Oh, I, 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 looks I, like Chris has won. Two, two seconds for me. Um, I think um, I agree-ish. You know, obviously I would push biometrics to be everywhere to, to keep us safe, secure and uh, and even from a from a health and safety issue, if there is if something happens and no one's got eyes on it, it's great to have that technology and we could utilize that. And I'm just happy that um I got Ian to agree, which I'm gonna I'm glad it was recorded. <laughs> ah, <laughs> with caveats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh for me it is literally down to for especially businesses and stuff, per, what is the purpose of being transparent at the end of the day and how you're securing that and ensuring that data is secured because it is special category data on the GPL. It's a good enabler. It's a good tool for security, but it, it, can, it has other social uses. There does need to be more legislation around controlling it. There needs to be better guidelines coming out like the likes of ICO and stuff like that for organisations that are just if they're just using it for access to the laptops or anything like that. Personally, it's your call and those organizations should be upfront as well, like Apple or 
Samsung or whoever, when you go, yeah, I'll use my thumb to get my phone. That should be up front. I say, by the way, if you do this, this is where it's stored and stuff like that. Not hide it behind the click here for the uh, privacy notice, which is 6,000 pages long and no one ever <laughs> reads. And it reminds me of the South Park episode, but oh, I'll go into that. But um, yeah, that's it from top of me because it, it, it's, it's a good tool and it can do good thing. I mean, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Moscow Metro, what they do. They just use facial recognition. You walk through, you sign up to it, you obviously do that, mm. and it just uses your face, and that's your, that's your ticket. That's very easy. I hate the tube. So that, to me, is great. That's my two cents. No, I like it. I like it. And I think, no, it's a, it's a lively debate. This is probably one of, the more, one of the more lively debates we've had. I definitely want to get you guys on again to debate this and probably some other stuff. You know, at the end of the day, I think it's a definitely a very big subject matter. I'm, I'm actually really interested. Any of you out there listening to this, please drop some comments in. We're going to be dropping this on LinkedIn and obviously on the YouTube channel as well. So please feel free to obviously like, subscribe and click the bell notification so you can be told when this fantastic content is coming out. But in addition, what are your comments on it? Add a comment in, get in touch with us, whatever, and we'll revisit the subject matter. And maybe we'll pull one or two other people in. Maybe we could start a massive argument on one of the podcasts about how, you know, biometrics is used and the right and the wrong. We'll do a two-hour one where it's like two groups of people just shouting and screaming at one another. If you want that kind of content, we, we shall provide. Um, fantastic. So thank you, Chris. Thank you, Ian. Uh, we're definitely going to get you on again. Thank you. Thank you. Um, for all of you out there, you know, listening in or watching, if you're on the YouTube channel, uh, it's been absolutely fantastic. And we'll be back with you with all kinds of new and interesting content. And if there's anything you want us to cover, any any, any guests you want me to bring on, so you can listen to us argue, just let us know and we'll be happy to organise that for you. Speak to you all soon. Fairly well. Thank you for listening to the Rosewire podcast. If you like the podcast, if you love the podcast, please feel free to subscribe. And if you have any questions, please get in touch. Thank you very much and have a great day.